Hi, I'm Ben Pilgreen, lead pastor of Epic Church in San Francisco, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. Our vision here is to see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orient their entire lives around Jesus. But whether you're listening in from the city that we love here by the bay or wherever you might happen to be in the world today, I want you to know that I'm excited about what God is doing in your life and what he's doing in our Epic Church community. I hope you'll find this message encouraging and that it will inspire you to take your next steps along your faith journey. Well, I think before we even get going today, I mean, watching Anthony and Krista, our student directors, do a welcome for the first time, Anaki, seeing you and your kids team right there. At 9 o'clock, my 14-year-old was on camera one for the first time ever. I mean, don't you love what God's doing in the next generation here at Epic? And I really need you to understand something, and this isn't just true for church. If you do not have a vision for the next generation, you don't have a vision. Vision's about the future. If your vision, I don't care if it's work, I don't care, of course, for your family, church, guys, if you don't have a vision for the next generation, there's no vision. There's no vision. And parents, we know so many of you have been hit the hardest. Those of you who are still watching at home right now, I just want to say we care deeply about the foundation that your child is starting their life off with. And so as soon as you can, get them around people like you just saw in this video. Get them around this church family. You've spent enough time with them by yourself the last two years. And I really do want to encourage you. We're going to keep going after what God is up to. And um, Anaki, Anthony, Krista, all of you who have a part in this, thank you. Um, it's fun to do life and family and community together. And you need to know this, too. We are four weeks away from Easter. And when we gather on Easter Sunday, it will be the first time we've gathered on Easter Sunday in three years. So I don't know about you, but I'm not taking that for granted. Maybe you are. Uh, I'm going to be here to celebrate not just the resurrection, but that we get the privilege, something we thought would always be with us, right? When you have something that you think is always going to be there, you just take it for granted. It doesn't make you or me bad. It just, that's the way life works, right? When you have sunshiny day after sunshiny day, you just assume the next day will be, unless you live in San Francisco, then you're like, maybe not. Maybe it won't be. So mark your calendar, Sunday, April 17th, three Easter gatherings, 9, 10, 30, 12 o'clock. Lots of stuff going on before that, egg hunts and encounters, self-guided experiences that our own artists have made for the first time ever, Good Friday gathering, just going to be huge, Uh, really kind of eight or nine days in a row where we have something going on nearly every single day minus the Saturday, that day of waiting between Good Friday and, uh, and Easter Sunday. But I'm thrilled that you're here. If you're here for the first time, first time in a long time, I think you picked a great Sunday to come, and I believe God wants to speak to us. You know, we can seemingly have everything that life has to offer and still feel like there's something missing, right? And let's be honest, when you know you're lacking certain things you want, you feel off, but you know why you're off, right? Like if you want a certain job and you don't have that job, like it makes sense why I'm discontent. Or if you want a certain kind of relationship or if you want your body to look a certain way and it's not there, you're like, I kind of know. But there are other times where seemingly everything is in your favor and it still feels like something is just lacking. Have you ever been there? Like maybe you're having more success than you've ever had at work, your friendship life is great, your family is thriving, your physical health is better than it's been in a decade, and all is going well, but there's just something, and you can't put your finger on it, but there's just something that's lacking. Now maybe for you it's an issue of discontentment, right? Meaning that you get something and you always want more. And if that's your issue, let's talk about that. But that's not the point of the message today. I want to say this to you. Sometimes the reason you feel like something is lacking is because something is actually lacking. 
The reason it seems like something is missing perhaps is because something is missing. And I wonder if God wants to use what's missing in your life to get your attention today. What if today would be the day God gives us what we're lacking? Would you want that? Are you sure? We'll see. Today we're going to look at an encounter Jesus has with someone who seemingly has the world. I mean, he just has everything going his way. He has the kind of LinkedIn profile that if you saw it, you're like, I want to be that guy. Uh, He's got it all. And yet he feels like there's still something missing. In fact, that's the title of my message for today. There's still something missing. He feels like something is missing. He's like, what am I missing? What am I, Jesus, what do I not have? And Jesus says there is something actually missing And he gives them an opportunity. He grants them an invitation. And the same invitation is being afforded to everyone under the sound of my voice today, whether at home or watching this later or right here, filling up this room, which is super, super fun. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. We're still in the gospel of Mark. I want you to stand with me as you find your place. We'll have it on the screen. It's there in the app, all the places. But what I want you to imagine today is an opportunity to hear about what you might be missing. And what might not feel like a gift is a gift. You and I are going to come face to face with what's really at stake. And uh, we're going to have to answer some challenging questions for our lives. And I think, again, I think that's a gift of love from Jesus. And you'll understand why I believe that. Verse 17 of Mark 10, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I know all of you are thinking what I'm thinking. Not me. (laughs) Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And then no surprise, but Peter speaks up. Shocker, real shocker. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last. In the last verse, today you've been given an opportunity, I think, to come face to face with what actually is reality, no matter how it feels to you. I'm calling this message, there's still something missing. You may be seated. Let's see what's missing. This guy has it all, doesn't he? I mean, this guy has it all. And I'm not just talking about wealth. We're told that he is wealthy, but his story also shows up in Matthew's and Luke's gospels as well. Matthew tells us that this guy was young. I mean, can we be honest for a minute? 
The only thing better than being middle-aged and wealthy or being old and wealthy is being young and wealthy. And so, so we've been told. So he's young and wealthy. Luke's gospel tells us that he was a ruler. Likely he was an official at the local synagogue. So I want us to understand that we have someone who is young, wealthy, and powerful. But he's also incredibly moral. I'm not judging who you work with, but my guess is you have some people who are young and wealthy and powerful that you work with, but might not be as moral as this guy. I'm not as moral as this guy. He's moral. Jesus is like, here's some commandments. You know them. And the guy's like, check, 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 check. Now, have you ever been in a moment in a performance review where your boss is just throwing all of the compliments on you? I don't understand why my direct reports aren't raising their hand right now. I'm just going to look over here. Have you guys ever been in a moment where your boss is just showering you with praise? And you're just getting compliment after compliment. Hey, you're making us hit our numbers. You're increasing our profitability. You're leading your team well. You have integrity. They're saying that. You, you get here early. You stay late. You do whatever it takes. You embody all of our staff values. And you are hearing so many compliments from the boss that you think the next thing out of his or her mouth is they're about to make you president of the company. But instead they say this, but hey, I've got to make sure you know, there's the, well, all of that is great, but there's this one massive issue. And if you don't solve that issue, you will lose your job. That's what's happening. Jesus doesn't tell this, this rich, young, powerful man, oh no, you're not that moral. He doesn't say that. But he's like, you're right. You ask the question about what's missing. What do you still have to do? There is this one thing. There's this one thing that you absolutely do have to do. There's one thing that you lack. I mean, what is this guy missing? He has everything. Let me ask you, regardless of everything you have, does it still feel like something is missing? I just want you to think five years ago or 10 there, there were things you told yourself. I told myself, if, if these things happen, I'm going to be good. Just reflect on that for a minute. Now, not for all of us, and not for all of us, all of the things, but I bet a lot of us have gotten a lot of the things, have we? Hey, you, right, you came out of university. If I can just get a job making this, if that equity that was 80 cents when I signed on goes to $8,000, right, whatever it is, if I get in the relationship, if I can buy a home or just have rent control, right, because that's the same thing here. But if I just get all of these things, I'm going to be good. And what I'm betting, you just like me, if they, right? I mean, I won't even tell you, like, oh, if the church would just go to X size. Oh, guys, we've hit a lot of those things. And for some of us, there's still something lacking. Now, if you take this text at face value, you will tell me, Ben, the one thing that seems to be lacking from this man is generosity. He needed to become generous. I agree with that, but that's not what's lacking. Then the one thing that's lacking, I mean, Jesus says it, right? On the surface, he says, the one thing you've got to do, go sell everything you have and then give all of your money away to the poor and then you can come follow me. That is part of it. But here's what I believe about that activity. I believe that is a symptom of the one thing that's lacking. Let, let me, right here. Be careful that you're not just treating the symptoms for what's lacking in your life. We've got to go to the root cause. And there's a root cause for this man. And to understand what the root cause is, you have to see where Jesus introduces the concept of treasure. 
You've got to see where Jesus introduces the concept. Jesus says, then you will have treasure in heaven. This is the big idea. Now, Jesus also talks about treasure in Matthew 6 when we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. When he says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Meaning, you value something above everything else. And whatever you value most, your heart will follow. Watch this. Then your mind will follow. Then your desires will follow. Then your time will follow. Then your energy will follow. Then your money will follow. Then your relationships will follow. It is how it works. And he went on three verses later in 24 of Matthew 6, and he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Guys, this is a spiritual principle, but it's also a practical principle. He's just literally saying you can't do it. Have you ever worked for two supervisors? If so, you know you cannot serve two masters. Like, which one is it? Have you ever had a mom and a dad? You cannot serve two masters. But mom said, I don't care. Okay, right? It's just true. In the end, one master always wins out. And what he's saying to this guy, and you need to hear, you cannot have Jesus as Lord if you already have wealth as master. Or if you already have security as master, or if you already have pleasure as master, or if you already have fear as your master, or if you already have yourself as your master. You will never be able to orient your entire life around Jesus as long as you are orienting your entire life around something else. And in case we're not clear, Ben, I don't know if I have a treasure. I don't know if my life orients around something. It absolutely does. When push comes to shove, one thing always rises to the top. Now, I don't know if this will encourage you or not, but this is the only place, I believe, in all of Scripture where Jesus calls any person to sell everything they have and to give everything away. And some of you are like, Phew. It might be you. You might be the only person in the room he's saying that to today, so don't rest easy. But I would say, don't assume that that's the specific call that Jesus has for you today, but do assume this. You cannot follow Jesus as long as you're being led by something other than Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus as long as you're actually being led by something other than Jesus. So you should ask yourself this question, who is leading me? What am I being led by? One of the things, because lengthy passage, you might not have picked up, but I want to make sure we get it, is this is a very emotional exchange for Jesus and this young man. This is not a stiff conversation. This is not a we're just doing business conversation. This is not a monotone conversation. This is not a just here's the facts. It's not what's happening here. I want you to notice the emotions. In verse 21, Mark takes note of this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. We know that Jesus loves the whole world, so it's not surprising to hear somebody tell us that Jesus loves a particular human being, but guys, there's some, it's one thing about thinking Jesus loves the whole world, that's true, or Jesus loves everyone in the crowd, or even Jesus loves everyone here at Epic, but it's a different thing to say, no, he loves Michelle, and he loves Crystal, and he loves Shauna, and he loves Brenda, like, right, are you with me? That's very different, and what should surprise you is this is the only time in all of Mark's gospel where it notes that Jesus looks at an individual and loves that individual, not because he didn't love every individual he saw, And remember, Mark gets this from Peter's eyewitness account, most likely. Peter's in this story, so Peter overheard. There was something Peter saw. 
There was something he saw in Jesus' nonverbal communication to this man. There's something he saw in the way that he tried to comfort this man while giving him a challenging truth. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And what you've got to know in this moment is that Jesus isn't trying to be harsh to this young man. He's not trying to be harsh to him. He's not making his life more difficult just to make his life more difficult. Jesus loves this man, and he wants this man to know a freedom that he's never known, to experience a joy unlike he can imagine. And that's why Jesus is challenging him. And here's what I'm convinced of. We've got to make sure our definition for love is the definition that God gives us for love. Guys, we live in a culture that wants to tell it, love is love. If it is this love, yes. Guys, we live in a city where there's way too much allowed in the name of love. Can I get a witness? We're going to let the citizens of this city, because we love them, end their lives, ruin their lives, hurt other people? You tell me, is that love? Is it love when a parent pats their child on the back and just says, you do whatever you want and you're going to be fine? Is that love? Then when Jesus calls you to something hard, he's doing that out of love too. He's not trying to ruin your life. He's trying to save your life. If I saw Justin ruining his life, should I just let him do it? If I saw Minnie ruining her life, should I just let her do it? No, I love him too much and I love her too much. You want Jesus just to keep clapping for you to move forward in the path you're on when you're ruining your life? Jesus isn't the only one with emotions present in this moment. This man has quite a bit of emotions. There's something that comes next in the text that should shock you and stun you, and it's this. Mark writes it this way. The man walked away sad because he had great wealth. What? Shouldn't that shock you? What would you expect it to say? The man walked away happy because he had great wealth. Listen, if you offer me wealth today, I'll leave something in the offering bucket, but I'm walking away happy. Anybody else with me? Why is he sad? That word sad is literally, it gets translated sad in the English. It's literally in the Greek. It means he's grieving. Why is he grieving? If you make me an offer and I walk away from it knowing I could have said yes, why would I be grieving? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Ben, help me understand. Guys, he wanted it all. He did want Jesus. He did. He wanted eternal life. I believe that. But here's what he could not imagine. Though he's grieving, missing out on Jesus, he believes he would have grieved even more to let go of his wealth. Let me ask you this. What can you never imagine giving up? What can you never imagine giving up, even if it means you miss out on Jesus? That's probably the one thing you lack. And here's what makes me sad for you. From this story, it looks like Jesus might let you hang on to what you treasure most. Even if it means eternity without you.
Jesus says it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And all of you are like, Ben, how does he define rich person? (laughs) My guess is he would include most of us. Most of us. He goes on and he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's a lot of commentary thoughts on this, but what seems to be most likely is this was a humorous saying anytime there was something impossible that someone was attempting. So Jesus is like, guys, it's another one of those. This is like a camel, a large animal, probably can fit through the eye of a needle in an easier way than a rich person can get into the kingdom of God. Aren't you glad that he goes on and says, but they're, because they're like, who then can be saved? And Jesus is like, listen, with man, um, that's impossible. But with God, aren't you glad? All things are possible. Why is it hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God? Why is it hard for a successful person to enter the kingdom of God? Why is it hard for a morally righteous person to enter the kingdom of God? Because every one of those individuals thinks they have everything they need to be secure and safe. Right? The religious guy or girl does. The wealthy guy or girl does. The status guy or girl does. The retiree who has a great career and now can rest easy thinks they are fine. And I want to just ask you, like, who or what is your trust actually in? Who or what is your trust actually in? Where's your treasure? Who's your master? One of the things I've heard just recently, and maybe in an increasing way, is, hey, um, I just don't believe certain parts of the Bible. Hey, that's a lot to grapple with, and I'm glad to have that's a long conversation. There's, there's a lot there. But the only question I would want to ask you if you're in that camp is, tell me how you decide which parts. Seriously. And this isn't true for everyone that would answer that that way. But then I would say, hey, is it possible that the way you decide which parts you believe tell you everything you need to know about who is actually the Lord of your life? Is it just the parts you don't like that you don't believe? I've been there. (laughs) Is it just the part that our culture doesn't fit in well too much today that you don't believe? I would just be honest with yourself. Who's the Lord? Who's the master? Who's on the throne of your life? You guys having as much fun listening as I am giving this? I think we need to hear this. I think there's so much at stake. I think your eternity is at stake. I think your life on this earth is at stake. I think the future of our church is at stake. I think God only gives us so many Sundays that I've got left in my preaching career. No, I'm not retired. I'm just saying, even if it's hundreds, it's still limited. And we're not going to waste time around here. With secondary matters, when primary concerns are right here. Let's talk a little bit about your security and your fear, where you find security and what your fears are. I love this from Proverbs 18, verses 10 and 11. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is a fortified, their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. I love this. Here's what's true. We all long for security. Every person. We were made to find security. Would you agree? So the question you've got to ask out of that Proverbs text is where are you running for security? The name of the Lord is a strong tower or a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and they know that's where they are safe. But those who are wealthy believe that their wealth has created a defense wall so high 
and so thick that nothing from life can get them. And I just want you to be answering honestly, where do you run for security? And then I want to offer this to you. You are safe in God's good hands, and so is everything you place in his hands. I don't have another promise to give you on that part, but as long as your life is in his hands, just like Seth led us in worship a moment ago, as long as your life is in his hands, you're in good hands, and so is everything that you put in his hands. But what we want to do is what this rich young man did. I want to keep it in my hands. I want to direct, because right when it's in my hands, I get to direct it. And I tell myself, as long as it's in my hands, it's most safe, but God's like, no, 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 no. A couple of quotes from um, authors who are no longer alive. The first one is A.W. Tozer. In the pursuit of God, he writes, we are often hindered from giving up our treasures to the Lord out of fear for their safety. Some of you, that's your wealth and resources. Some of you, it's your children. Some of you, it's your career. And then from now, in, in his book, Following Jesus, what we hold on to always diminishes. What we give away always multiplies. How's your grip? How's your grip? On your life, on your kids, on your career, on your faith. My deep conviction is this. Having everything without Jesus will never be enough. And in case this is your last time to ever attend Epic, I need you to know he's enough. And I believe he has more for all of us, but we're going to have to give some things up to get more of Jesus. A few things just about wealth and money, just because that is the topic. I felt like the thrust of the message was 30,000-foot vision because it's not just about wealth and money. All of these principles about whatever your treasure, whatever your master is. But a few things about that. Um, First thing to note is this. Jesus never tells this man that there's something wrong with him having a lot of money. That's good news, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with him having a lot of money. But Jesus knows that money has the power to blind us. In a message on this same text, I love how John Mark Comer said it. He just said, Jesus sees money as useful but dangerous. Right? It's needed. Everybody knows. Anybody living in San Francisco without it? It's useful. But when it takes a place in our heart that it was never meant to take, now it's dangerous. And real practically, I want you to know that generosity is the antidote to greed. It just is. Again, it's a spiritual principle. It's also a practical one. I have a friend who says that the only way he can keep his weight down is to have a regular practice of running. He said he's tried a lot of different diets, a lot of different workouts. And he just said to me, he said, Ben, for me, the only way I can keep my weight down is to have a regular practice of running. And I want you to know the only way you can keep your greed down is a regular practice of generosity. So do you have one? Do you have one? For most of us, I do not mean this for every one of us, but for most of us, I think that starts with trying to give away 10% and going up from there. And let me just say this. If you're still giving the same amount you were giving five years ago, but your salary is twice what you were giving, now you're half as generous. Just math, folks. It's just math. But no, no, it's not just math. Then It's where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it's not just your money that follows your treasure. Your decision-making follows your treasure, right? Guys, whatever is number one, you will sell everything else to get it. I promise. Family went through something this week, and it was such a major deal for us that whatever I had to give up to get it, I was going for it because it was a treasure issue. 
And we all have this, don't we? Right? There are some things, and you're like, I would give up what I would give up San Francisco to have the treasure. I would give up my career to have the treasure. I would go to another church if that's what I had to do to have my treasure. I would break up with him or her to have like I, I have a treasure. And we all do. We all do. And you need to know this. We are always giving something up to gain something else. Always. By virtue of being here, you can't be at brunch. You know that, right? Same. We're always giving something up. Now, I want you to notice, Peter did speak up. I want you to notice what he said. He said, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. You know what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't say, Peter, there's still something you lack. He doesn't do it. You know what else Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't say, no, Peter, there's still something else you need to give up. He doesn't tell Peter he's wrong. He just says this to Peter. Peter, I want you to know. And he wants you to know. Anyone who's left mom or dad or brother or sister or houses or fields is going to get all of that back, some in this life and more in the age to come. Yes, there's going to be persecution thrown in, but I want you to know it will be worth it. And guys, that's the offer being made to us. You want to have treasure on earth or you want to have treasure in heaven? And I know the answer is both. I've played this out with so many of you. Then I want it all. <laughs> Me too. But I've been decisive on which one I'm going with. I would beg you. You know, there's the study out of Stanford. I've just shown up in a number of the business books I've been reading, and um, there's different versions of it, but it's like the the deal where it can be a cookie or a marshmallow, but I'll use marshmallow, where um, they do these tests with these kids, and they're like, hey, if you want a marshmallow right now, we'll give you one marshmallow, but if you'll wait 15 minutes, we'll give you two. I'm like, I would have been the one also. Like, maybe somebody in the second group will give me half of theirs. Everyone's giving up something to gain something else. And I just want you to ask yourself, is Jesus worth more than whatever I can never imagine giving up? And before I asked you that question, I thought it was wise for me to spend some time with the question last night. And so I went through the things that are most precious to me in my life. I don't want to lose any of the things I'm about to tell you. But I just walk, I needed to walk through it. Ben, if you had to give your marriage up to have Jesus, would you? Ben, if you had to give up those four kids to have Jesus, would you? Ben, if you could no longer live in this city, would you? Still choose Jesus. Ben, you love pastoring the people of Epic Church. If you had to give that up, would you still do it for Jesus? Now, thankfully, I think because I've surrendered my life to Jesus, he's given me a lot of those things. But I want you to know that if that's what it costs me, I'm going to choose Jesus. And if you're not, I just, at least you've come face to face with the reality of what's at stake. And there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake. 
But Jesus only asks us to do for him what he's already done for us. I love this from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. There's two chapters in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 on generosity. And right in the middle of that, Paul says this incredible truth about Christianity. He says about Jesus, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's like, come on, you know this. You sing about it. You're taught it every week at your church. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became so that through his poverty you... For some of us, it's just changing how we define that word. I want you to imagine that you and I are having coffee. And lots of places we could go. But we're going to choose Blue Bottle, third and market, right here, just because we're already here. And you and I are sitting down at coffee. And while you and I are having coffee, talking about what God's doing in your life, your coworker comes in. Your coworker, the rich young ruler, comes in. And you're like, Ben, he or she, they are awesome. They're like the best teammate or the best boss. They're young, but they already are an executive because they are just that good. And, you know, Ben, usually uh, when you're around people who are young and wealthy and powerful, um, their morals are kind of, uh-uh. I'm like, I know, and you're telling me, but not this person. They're more, they are so, their integrity is incredible. They're all this. And then you say this, because people say this to me a lot, talking about other people in their life. Then you say this, Ben, he or she is actually a better Christian than I am. Surely they will be in heaven. And for starters, I'd be like, well, hey, if they're a better Christian than you, let's talk about you for a second. <laughs> But you're like, surely, surely they will be in heaven. And if I loved you and I wasn't out to try to please you at that coffee meeting, I would tell you, surely not. Surely not. Surely not. And it's one thing to be thinking about your coworker as the rich young ruler. It's another thing to do what you need to do in this moment, which is to think about yourself as the rich young ruler. He walked away sad, but he knew clear the invitation. And I want to make sure this invitation is clear. You see, whoever spends eternity with Jesus, it will be because they have surrendered their life to Jesus being on the throne. They have said, Jesus, you're the treasure. Because you need to know, why would you want eternity with Jesus, who is going to be on the throne, is going to be treasured by all of us, if you've chosen a different treasure during your time on earth. And I just want you to know that he's better. He's better than your money. He's better than your equity. He's better than the number of followers you have. He's better than the best relationships you have. He's better. But I learned years ago, I cannot do for my own children what I also cannot do for our congregation, and that is to make this decision for you. But I will not... I will not own this responsibility that is yours. Today, I've tried to own my responsibility to you. And I've tried to do that faithfully. Will you walk away sad? Will you hold on tightly to the thing that's going to cost you? Or would you surrender to it, to him? Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for the weight of this message, the weight of this story, the weight of your word. 
God, thank you for teaching us that we can only have one treasure ultimately. We can only have one master. We can only have one Lord ultimately. And God, I pray for every man, woman, child here. Even if it's not easy, because I don't think it is easy. It's never easy to give up what we want so that we can follow you. But God, I believe that it's worth it. God, would you help us to choose you, to worship you, to treasure you, because our hearts are always going to follow what we treasure. God, if there's anyone in this room who recognizes in this moment, by, by the truth that your spirit is giving to them right now, that, wait a minute, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. If that's what this is, I, I, don't, I, I keep choosing a lot of things over Jesus. God, would you... In the same way you looked at this young man and loved him, would you look at this middle-aged lady? Would you look at this teenage boy? Would you look at this retired person? God, would you look at them and would you just love them in this moment And as, as they hear you calling them to give up something that is less than you so they can have you? God, could they see it as an act of love? God, I pray... Whatever was on the throne of our lives when we walked in, whatever we could never imagine giving up, God, that we would just say before you with hands and hearts open wide, you can have it. And could we then say as Peter said, Jesus, we have given up everything to follow you. And here you say, yeah, and I've given you a church family, even though you're far from home. And I've given you this blessing and I've provided for this. And in the age to come, you will have eternal life with me. Could we be like the kids in that study and go, hey, I'm not gonna do the marshmallow now and take what the world has. I don't want treasure on earth if it causes me to miss out on treasure in heaven. God, I know that you're stirring hearts and I pray that we would surrender And Jesus, that you would become central, you would become top, you would become the one that we will not walk away from. Oh God, it might grieve us to walk away from certain things, but I do not want to see us have grief pouring out of our hearts because we've had to walk away from you. You're kind to us. You're calling all of us, I think, home to yourself in this moment. Help us to see clearly that you are the treasure. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. I want to ask you to stand. This space is going to be an altar. And what I know is not because I preach it, but because God is speaking, that there's a response demanded. This young man had to respond. Would you agree? See, he came to Jesus for something. Every one of us came in here today for something. He at least gained clarity, even if he left with a grieving heart. Oh, but wouldn't you love to hear the story that When he met Jesus, he realized that whatever he had held on to was worth letting go of. That can be your story. Will your story be more like the rich young ruler who misses out on Jesus to hold on to something else? Or will your story be more like Peter who leaves everything else so he doesn't have to miss out on Jesus? Everyone in this room is giving up something to have something else. And I just want you to choose what is most worthy. Please choose what is most worthy. Let's respond. Altar's open. Thank you so much for joining us on the Epic Church Podcast today. If you would like to learn more, you can go to epicsf.com. I want to also encourage you to download the Epic SF app so that you can keep up with everything that God is doing in and through this community in downtown San Francisco.